Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and nice people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to meet a POTS patient and hear what their journey has been like. I don't know about you, but I'm always fascinated to hear from other POTS patients because we're all so different, yet have so much in common at the same time. So today we are speaking with Tanya. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. So if we could, let's just start with some basics about you. What is your age? Where do you live? What do you do? So I am 46 and I um, live in Kaysville, Utah. And what do I do? I don't do much anymore. <laughs> but do you want me to tell you what my life was like before I got sick? I, I totally do. In fact, I was going to ask you to maybe give us like the three-minute snapshot of what your life looked like before you got sick, how you were spending your time, what what types of work or hobbies or general activities you were doing, just, yeah, whatever your life looked like. So before I got sick, I my journey is about I'm just over a year. And so over just over a year ago, I was very active. I was very healthy. I hardly ever went to the doctor. I had, I've never had bad cholesterol or um, I've never had problems with uh, blood pressure, just always healthy. I, like I said, was very active, um, considered myself a cyclist. I had ridden my bike in five century rides in the past several years. So that's what I did to keep healthy and exercise is I love to ride my bike. I'm a gardener, so... I have quite a yard and garden with flowers, and that's my meditation was to go out and get my hands dirty and work in the dirt and and work in my yard. That was something I always loved. I owned a photography business, so I had a, a photography business. I specialized in newborn babies and had that for 20 years. So um, that was up and going and was the perfect job. I was able to do it part-time. And so I could be as busy as I wanted to with that. I have three kids, and I had a calling in my church that I worked with the youth, and so that kept me very busy. We had just purchased horses about, uh, I got a new horse four months before I got sick. So we were hoping to become horse people and add that to our hobbies. Um, I was really looking forward to having a horse and, and going on rides and stuff like that. So I hope I painted a good picture. I was very active. I never stopped. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like an absolutely beautiful life. Can I ask about your personality? Like, What are a few words that your family or friends might use? And I'm talking about before you got sick, like how would people describe you? Tanya is so... The first word that comes to my mind is over the top. (laughs) 
I think um, whenever I was asked to, like I was asked to throw a Christmas party for my church a couple years ago, and I couldn't just do a simple Christmas party. I had to have it themed and we had to do the decorations and I had a committee and just, it was over the top. So yeah, I think my friends roll their eyes and say, I can't just do anything simple. I have to go the extreme and go over the top. (laughs) That sounds fun. What was the first sign that something was wrong with your health? I got COVID in April, 2020. So that's when everything went downhill for me is when I got sick. And was your COVID very severe? It wasn't bad enough. I never felt like I had to go to the hospital. So it was just like a bad flu. It was in my chest. And, you know, I went into quarantine for two weeks and just rested in bed and had a humidifier. I had an inhaler that I used to use for when I did my bike ride. So I went and got my inhaler out of my bike, little purse. And so I would use that. But I was pretty fatigued which, you know, is expected when you get sick. So I just thought, you know, I I tested negative for COVID. So I just thought, well, we we have a bug and, and I'll get over it in two weeks and be fine. And what happened instead? Oh, instead, um, sorry if I get emotional. It's, it's still so new. So I came out of quarantine two weeks after my first symptom, and I actually started to get better. And I think I went three days, the shortness of breath and the fatigue really lifted and and I was able to move around a little bit more and, and I was able to breathe a little bit more. I think I went like three or four days after I came out of quarantine thinking, oh, I'm getting better. And then I remember just bam, the next day I was back in bed with severe fatigue and the shortness of breath, and I had dizziness, and I started getting a really bad cough, I remember, after that. And so that's how May, May 2020 went, is I would go three or four days, um, starting to get better. I'd go start working out in my yard, and then, bam, three days I'd be back in bed with all my symptoms flared again. So it was a roller coaster. It was just the weirdest thing I've ever been through. And then probably the end of May, 1st of June, I it hit me and I never got better. <laughs> the, the good days went away. So then how long did it take you to get diagnosed with POTS or dysautonomia? And was that difficult? You know, I actually, after hearing other people's stories before COVID, I think that I was pretty lucky. I had gone to a lot of doctors that summer my family practitioner was referring me to pulmonologist, cardiologist. Just we kept going to different doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I was bedridden back then, and anyone that knows POTS knows just how awful the symptoms were. I was dizzy, shortness of breath, heart palpitations, I had tremors, just was just felt awful. Couldn't get out of bed. I actually found in the news, they were talking about long haulers. And remember, I said I tested negative for COVID. And I started reading these these COVID long hauler stories, and they had the exact same symptoms I had. So I joined some groups on Facebook. And lo and behold, 
I had every single symptom that they were having. So I started reading. I would sit in bed all day and I would just read what people were talking about and writing about. And the word POTS kept coming up and people were talking about POTS. And I remember reading a lady posted a blog article or something and she was a long hauler and she had POTS. She talked about how she did the poor men's tilt table test at home and was trying to look at her heart rate and see if it went up when she stood. And and I actually joined at that time, I think it was July, I joined a webinar that Dysautonomia hosted and it talked about POTS. And so I made my husband listen to it with me and I had every symptom that they talked about. So at that same time, I was going to see a cardiologist. And when I went to meet with a cardiologist, I think it was August 3rd. I remember I was looking forward to that appointment. I was so excited. And I went in, told him my symptoms and said, could I have this POTS that, you know, these people are talking about? And he says, yeah, you, you fit the bill. You look like you have the symptoms. He says, let's put you on a medication and see if it helps you. So he put me on Metadrin. And sure enough, I was able to get out of bed. I was able to start moving around. My symptoms were still there, but they weren't as extreme. And I just remember telling his nurse, if I could just come in and give him a big hug, <laughs> he saved my life. Whatever this Metadrin is, it's helping and so he he said, yeah, you have POTS. If, if you're responding to Metadrin, you have POTS. The sad part of it is he says, I don't know very much about POTS, so I can't really help you with that. So he referred me to the University of Utah. They had a dysautonomia clinic up there. And so I called them and they had a 10-month waiting list. <laughs> and I, you know, anyone with POTS knows you're just suffering. And I said, I am not waiting 10 months to get into someone. I need help now. So I called the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and applied for them with them. And it took about three, maybe four weeks. And they got back to me and approved to see me. So the first week of November, I flew to Minnesota and went to their autonomic department and was tested and was diagnosed with hyperadrenergic POTS. And since you got these diagnoses, have you been able to find more things that help or has it pretty much been flat since the mitodrine discovery? No, um, I am so much better now. It's funny, I, I think back, you you sometimes forget how bad it was, but I remember I have little snippets of memories. I remember laying in my bed and, and the dog would bark in the summertime and I would have a mini panic attack, <laughs> just being startled. I remember my phone would do that too. My phone would chime and all of a sudden my heart would start pounding and I'd get shortness of breath and get dizzy just from my phone chiming, startling me, and I don't get that anymore. So I, I think about how bad I was last summer, and I'm so much better now. Do you want me to tell you the things I'm doing, or <laughs> is that, am I jumping yeah. ahead? <laughs> no, if you have things that have helped you, I bet everybody is curious to hear what they are. So the metadrin, you know, we all know that medication, uh, different medications help different people. 
but um, the Mediterranean, and Utah, we say Mediterranean. I know other places they say Mediterranean, but that there's something about that vasoconstrictor that squeezes the blood vessels and gets that blood pumping back up to my upper body um, sure helps me. I don't know if it has to do with, because I'm hyperadrenergic, that my body just wigs out and dumps adrenaline when I don't have blood up there. And that's where I suffer the most. But that really helps. I remember learning about compression, wearing compression socks and thigh highs and, and abdominal binders. And I tried buying the socks in the beginning and couldn't tell a difference with them. I remember putting on my daughter just recently got married last year and we got her corset and abdominal binder to suck her in for her wedding dress. So I remember getting that out and putting it on and very uncomfortable. You can't breathe. You can't, you know, you can't do anything, but I just suffered through it for a day. And when I took it off that night, it reminded me of when I was little and, and you play on the monkey bars at, at the, on the playground at school. And when you hang upside down, you get a head rush. Well, that's what I got was a head rush when I took the abdominal binder off and it was crazy. So I thought, well, that must be working because I can feel it when I take it off. So I have not been without an abdominal binder since then. That, that has sure helped me a lot. I have noticed um, it's hard to tell with the salt and electrolytes, but when I go off of them, I can tell a big difference. So having my salt every day, I take two teaspoons of salt and I actually, I, I use the pink Himalayan salt and I measure it out in a little cup every morning. I, I heard this trick somewhere and I thought this was pretty nifty. I measure two teaspoons of salt out in a little cup each morning and I actually drink my salt. So I put it in with my electrolytes. One lady said she used the sugar-free pure crystal light and she would drink her salt with that. So it really wasn't that bad. I thought I would have to gag it down, but by now I'm used to it. So that works for me. I tried putting it on my food, but I just, it ruined my food and I just wasn't eating enough food to put two teaspoons of salt on it in a day. So that works for me. And then I, I drink liquid IVs. I have two or three a day. I drink about four 32 ounce mugs of liquids every day. So I think I do really well. When I was at the Mayo Clinic, the doctor says the amount of fluid and electrolytes and salt is awesome because he did some tests and urine tests and he's like, you're, you're where you should be. It's great. So I do that every day. And um, small, small meals throughout the day, I think helps every once in a while. You'll go out. I, I can't go out to eat, but we get takeout and I'll get a really good meal and I'll eat it all and just feel like crap afterwards. <laughs> so I try to keep the meals to to be smaller because I've heard that the blood will all go to your guts to digest that large meal. And we all know that we have low blood volume, so that blood's precious. And that's a good way to think about it. I like that. So what symptoms do you still have left that are debilitating, if any? It's hard because I also was diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome 
And then a few months ago, I was diagnosed with MACFS, which is chronic fatigue syndrome. And so I'm trying to wrap my head around what symptom goes with what illness. <laughs> and so what I used to think were adrenaline dumps from my POTS, I think were actually histamine dumps because I would get them after eating food. And so I think my, my biggest symptom that I absolutely hate is tremors. And I think that goes in the POTS category <laughs> with my autonomic nervous system being messed up. And so I'm on Mestinon. I just started Mestinon about probably five, six weeks ago. And that has helped with my tremors. So I used to, if I used to do a chore and I did a chore for too long, I, my hands would start to shake. My body would start to shake a little bit. And so I hated that. I hated the tremors. When I used to wake up first thing in the morning or if I woke up in the middle of the night, my chest cavity would shake and that was tremors. And so probably since I started the Mestinon, I hardly ever get the tremors anymore. So that's been a blessing. So the worst symptom I think my POTS gives me is tremors. Dizziness is probably a big one. Shortness of breath. I hate the shortness of breath. Not, it's just air hunger. That's not bad enough that I feel like I need to hurry and do an inhaler, but I just some, sometimes just talking right now, it's like I can't catch my breath. I can't talk and breathe at the same time. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. So how affected is your work, your social life, your family life, your sleep? Is it anything like it was before or is it pretty different now? It's pretty different. I'm a whole different person. So I had to give up the photography so I can't work anymore. I can stand. I've been working with, I've got a great, great, great MECFS doctor and she also does POTS. Most people with MECFS have orthostatic intolerance. So a lot of people with MECFS have POTS. So she has been great and we've been talking a lot and I'm trying to figure out, I could probably, I can probably stand and move around for four hours a day. So if you, you really think about four hours a day, that is not much at all. And that's a good day. So I'm homebound. I thank goodness for the the grocery stores and, and the takeout <laughs> where they let you order the groceries on an app and go pick it up now because that is heaven sent. Um, that's the one good thing about getting sick during the pandemic is everyone else has been staying home too. So I can do doctor visits by Zoom now. I don't have to go to the doctor's office. And so I just, I'm homebound. I do go to the doctor's offices when I can. But my biggest fear is having to stand. So I won't, I won't go shopping. I won't, I won't go to the grocery store. Just that fear of having to stand in line. I just can't do it. I become too weak and start getting dizzy and, and my legs just want to give out. So that's my life is I'm homebound, but it works. I have a great family. I have a beautiful home to be homebound in. And my family has been great to understand what I'm going through. And 
you know, they're sacrificing too because they can't go out to eat like we used to or go do activities because mom can't go do it. But we're getting by. <laughs> we're figuring this out. Yeah, I can sense that you have a lot of strength for everything that you've been through and that you're still fighting for. What gives you strength to deal with all this? What's helping you cope? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I've had some some dark days. It's a roller coaster. Every single doctor I go to, are you depressed? Do you need antidepressant pills, you know, and I, I've dealt with depression before in my life and I'm not depressed, but you, I have days that I just cry all day, you know, the pity parties and it's okay to mourn your old life. But the next day I have to pick myself back up and I can't let myself go there. And I pick myself up and I try harder the next day. And I actually started seeing a therapist to for someone to talk to. And he's been great. And one thing that I took away from him, for someone that is a go, go, go person that never stops my previous life, it's hard to adjust to this slow life. And the things that I'm learning I'm learning to take little walks, even if it's just in my yard, and to be mindful of the beauty around me. And I never did that before. And that's there's something almost spiritual about that, to be able to slow down and enjoy the beauty around us and almost to just slow down and have those talks. My my kids are teenagers. And I was always so busy running. I never just stopped and talked to them. And now just laying in my bed and scratching their back and having a conversation with them. I wouldn't have ever done that before. So I'm appreciating the slow life now. And I'm being mindful of and appreciative of the things around me that I that I was too busy to appreciate before. What a good attitude. What would be the best help that you could get from people at this point? I think the best thing people could do to help me would be to understand. You know, you have friends and family that will ask about you. And and those that are truly interested that want to learn what is POTS, what is it doing to my body, those that actually want to understand and can can understand it and sympathize with me and the ones that don't want to take the time and to understand that that kind of hurts but you know people want to help me and and there's not much you can do especially in a pandemic you really don't want to take someone dinner <laughs> and so i think just for my friends to understand and even just getting a text how are you feeling means the world to me just it's a lonely journey. It's very lonely. And especially when the doctors don't understand and your family, they do everything they can to help you, but it's lonely. So just getting a friendly phone call or a text means the world. 
You know, I so relate to that. And I remember times when I was kind of near rock bottom where I was so lonely that I could feel it as a physical difference in my body. And I could feel that on the rare occasions that I would go out, I remember having this feeling of someone just opening a door for me, like at a store or something. And that was like more kindness that I had felt like I had had in a while, that I was like so touched. I almost cried that someone opened a door for me. And I was like, wow, I am really lonely right now, apparently. But I I so relate to that. And that is one of our goals with sharing people's stories on this podcast. And so if there's anybody else out there right now feeling lonely, I hope, I don't know, I almost just want to give a big group hug to anybody who chooses to be part of it, because it's it's so hard that POTS is not rare, and yet it's so hard to meet another POTS patient face-to-face, maybe because it's invisible and we don't even recognize it in each other, or maybe because a lot of us are stuck at home. But I just can't thank you enough for, for being vulnerable and sharing that, because I that's the kind of thing where I feel, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. It's just so nice of you to be brave enough to kind of share that kind of thing. Thank you. Okay. So we have created a little section of questions that are meant to be a little bit more light, maybe even fun, a little bit of a speed round where you can just say the first thing that comes to your mind. And I recognize the irony of having a speed round for a potsy brain that may not be getting enough blood flow. Right. So brain fog, word finding difficulty, concentration problems. These are all expected and part of the fun, hopefully. Okay. Okay. Does that sound okay? Yep, I'll do it. Okay. What is your favorite way to get salt? Oh, drinking it. What is your favorite hydrating drink? Liquid IV. How many doctors have you seen for POTS or related illnesses? Oh, um, in the past year trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Let's say 50. 50 in the last year. (laughs) I'm tempted to ask you how much money you've spent on POTS doctors, but I don't think that would be appropriate. (laughs) How many other POTS patients have you ever met face-to-face in the flesh? Oh, um, three. What is one word that describes what it's like living with POTS? Prison. What is something small that brings you comfort or joy? Mm, My phone. If you could choose to have one superpower, what would it be? It's on the tip of my tongue, but I don't know how to say it. <laughs> it's to be like martial arts kickboxing that I could fight 10 men at one time, you know, like a superhero, like um, Black Widow. <laughs> nice. I could just have that superhuman body and just fight anyone that I wanted to. something you would give to every POTS patient if you were Oprah and had infinite funds 
and an abdominal binder. <laughs> Girdles for everybody. Yes. <laughs> People might suspect you're a potsy when... I can't stand up. And something you are grateful for. Oh, I've, I've found a wonderful doctor that I absolutely adore. And she has just made life, my life so much easier. I love my new doctor. Oh, hooray for that. Okay. Well, that concludes our speed round. Thank you so much. And thank welcome. you, Brain. So as we start to wrap up, is there anything that you wish more people knew about POTS? I wouldn't even say people. I would say physicians and clinicians. I wish more clinicians and physicians, doctors, the whole medical world, I wish they knew more about POTS. It, you know, I've had doctors tell me that it's just anxiety and to go home and take a bunch of Xanax and Zoloft. Yeah, one doctor told me that. So, and I hear stories of other people with POTS that go through so much, can't, they can't get a diagnosis. So that's my biggest wish. If I could wish, I would wish the medical field had a better understanding of dysautonomia. Do you have any final messages, tips, advice, or wisdom you'd want to share with anyone going through this? My tip and advice would be don't give up. I've actually made a lot of friends that are long haulers that have also been diagnosed with POTS. And in Utah, I've become the POT expert just because I guess I was one of the first to get the diagnosis. But um, everyone that suspected it would reach out to me on Facebook and just help. Something's majorly wrong with my body and I'm miserable and, and don't know what to do. I think we, at that, that point, we're so sick and it's easy just to lay in bed and give up. My advice would be don't give up and keep searching for the right doctor to help you and go with your instinct. If a doctor tells you something that doesn't make sense, go to a new doctor. And if you have a doctor that says he knows POTS, but he's not helping you, go to a new doctor. Just keep finding, going through doctors until you find the right fit, a good doctor that is knowledgeable and that can help you. And it's a process and it's a journey. And I would say the other thing is to learn all that you can about POTS and dysautonomia. I would just sit and put my earplugs in and listen to the dysautonomia conferences, international dysautonomia, international, their videos and conferences. And I would learn all that I could. And I would try to read as many books and read people's comments on Facebook because you're your own advocate. You're Oh, I think that's such smart advice. Okay, my last question is, why did you choose to share your story today? The reason I chose to share my story was when I was first diagnosed with POTS, I wanted to talk to every single person out there that had POTS. <laughs> what is your life like? You know, what what medication works for you? I had one lady, I well, we have a Dysautonomia International um, Utah Facebook group, and I put on there, I was just diagnosed with POTS. What advice would you give me just starting out? And there was a lady that reached out to me, and she said, give me your email address, and I'll send you some information. And she was my lifeline. 
I would send her emails in the beginning and ask her questions and, you know, what are beta blockers? And, and, you know, just one question was, is there a cure? Am I going to have this the rest of my life? And she was so great. And she actually was in a really good place. She had been in a bad place before with her pots, but she was managing her pots really well. I remember she told me she was going skiing twice a week. And I was like, what? You have pots and you can go skiing? So even though there was no cure to it, I looked at her and I looked at her life and she was living a prosperous, productive, fun life with pots. And that was my inspiration. And so I wanted to share my story because I know a lot of people starting out want to hear everything they can. What are you doing? What's working? What What's your journey like? You know, and, and to be able to relate, we talked about being lonely and to be able to hear someone else suffering or going through the same thing, you don't feel as lonely. So I hope sharing my story that I could help someone with one of my suggestions or if I could just help someone that maybe feels really alone right now, that they're not alone, that we're all going through the same thing. Amen. That is so beautifully said. And thank you for having the generosity to try to make your suffering mean something to help other people. I know you're such a fighter. You're doing everything you can to try to improve. And I hope that all your hard work pays off. And I can't thank you enough for taking this time with us today and for being so open and honest and frank about your story. I know it's not easy to relive. And I think that it was really helpful, though, for helping to raise awareness and hopefully to help somebody else out there. So, okay, listeners, as always, remember this is not meant as medical advice. Consult your medical team about what's right for you, because we're all different. But thank you for listening. Remember, you're not alone. And please join us again soon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, www.standinguptopots.org slash podcast. And I would add, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like to suggest, send them in. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots.